You're listening to Climate Champions, a podcast from the Architects' Journal. I'm Hattie Hartman, Sustainability Editor at the Architects' Journal. In this episode, we continue our focus on domestic retrofit. We need to change the narrative from how challenging it is to the many benefits retrofit brings if you take a whole house approach, rather than what so often happens, implementing a single measure in isolation. We also explore how to strike the right balance between fabric improvements and the rush to heat pumpify the housing stock. And I'm Hattie's co-host, George Morgan, director of 1.5 Architecture. an endless amount of opportunity to be creative with what we've got with the existing building stuff. When I very first started as an architect I was always just like what are we doing putting these pretty well insulated extensions on the back of leaky old houses? That just feels like letting the air out of your airbed. From clients who come to us looking for retrofit and what can they afford It's a little bit around being creative. Maybe you don't need quite as much new build extension space and maybe it's about more creative reuse and really understanding how you want to use your building. And then proving through modeling how much better their home could be. Our guest today is ACAN coordinator Sarah Edmonds, one of the leads in the ACAN Existing Buildings Group, and our first repeat guest on Climate Champions. Sarah featured in our very first episode alongside Smith Mordack, where she introduced ACAN and its various campaigns and work streams. By now, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with ACAN, the Architects Climate Action Network, If you're not, go onto their website or check out their Instagram or YouTube channel to find out what they've been up to. Things have moved on at an incredible pace over the last 18 months, particularly on the thorny topic of domestic retrofit, where Sarah has focused her efforts recently. She has been instrumental in opening collaborative channels of communication with other key players in the domestic retrofit space, Insulate Britain and the New Economics Foundation, She told me recently, at least now people are talking to each other. Sarah is also a host on the excellent Zero Ambitions podcast where you can dig further into this topic. ACAN launched Households Declare in the run-up to COP26 to shine a light on the fact that existing homes generate almost 20% of overall UK carbon emissions. That means that approximately 29 million homes across the UK need retrofitting if we are to meet our climate targets. ACAN's Households Declare website includes a clever graphic which illustrates the dozen or so measures that we can take to upgrade our homes. The tricky part is to know which measures have the most impact and how to prioritize any interventions. It's expensive, unaffordable for many, and disruptive. I faced this in my own Victorian Terrace recently when upgrading the windows. Sarah, we're delighted to have you back. Please update us on ACAN's activities and then tell us about some of the conversations you've been having and how ACAN is pushing domestic retrofit forward. 
I believe Aiken has a retrofit series coming up. Thanks, Hattie, and thank you, George, for having me back on. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but I guess it has been quite a while. I suppose our biggest news of late is that we have organised ourselves formally into a community benefit society, and we had our first AGM, where we voted in our new steering group, but it was more unanimous agreement of people who'd put themselves forward and were seconded by other members. So it's really exciting and we've got 11 roles in our steering group and a new refreshed vim to keep pushing and keep working together. Is that all on your website? It is, it is. And actually there's also information about how you can become a member. So you don't have to become a member in ACAN. It will continue to be a free and open network of individuals that you can just be involved to whatever capacity you like. If you want to have a hand in the direction of how ACAN is moving and to have more of a say, then you need to be a member. But it's really affordable. It's only a pound. And you'll get information on our website as well about what we've been up to. Frankly, sometimes it's hard to keep the website up to date (laughs) in pace with what actually is going on. So there's been a climate literacy series started recently, all about communicating the climate emergency and the challenge around that. And quite a nice release into the more creative side of this, into the storytelling and into what different people are, inspirational people are doing. So those are being recorded and then uploaded onto our YouTube channel. And yes, there's a lot more retrofit coming out of the woodwork now. There are collaborations between Natural Materials Group and and Existing Buildings Group to talk about the area of natural materials and and retrofit. And ACAN Northern Ireland are also running some retrofit sessions. Almost there is a need for location-specific places because that can be a big part of the kind of measures or the regulatory landscape around what retrofit you can and can't do or what areas need a bit of focus. You mentioned the Households Declare campaign and we... We took that one step further with the New Economics Foundation. We collaborated together to bring parliamentary action because myself and and Aidan from within the NEF and we were sort of musing on the fact that, goodness me, no matter what flavour of government you are, this is a good news story, isn't it? Some sort of national retrofit strategy where you make people's homes resilient to future price fluctuations or that you improve people's internal air quality or that you create maybe some local jobs and It's a positive thing. It has so much to offer. It's a huge opportunity. And the more that we can get buy-in for that story, for that narrative, then that's got the biggest chance of success. So it's important to us to show that, yeah, it is challenging, but, you know, no more than building any building. And what's key to it is seeing these challenges as actually opportunities to create other things that are often termed co-benefits, but are actually primary benefits. So we are now collaborating even more widely John Christopher is in the Zero Carbon House, who I think is a brilliant proponent of the retrofit movement, and Civic Square in Birmingham and Dark Matter Labs and Friends of the Earth, Citizens UK, and there's just a really big coalition of supporters for this. Could I ask about this idea about a campaign for a national retrofit strategy? The Republic of Ireland has got a national retrofit strategy, hasn't it? Because there's a lot of different things to coordinate, like skills, for example, and making sure that there's uh, people who can physically do all the air tightness work and the, the calculations and financing. And there's, there's a whole lot of things that it needs a kind of governmental level coordination to enable it to be kind of rolled out at a large scale. But if the UK national government isn't particularly fussed about that, 
Is that an opportunity for the devolved administrations of the UK to do some of this? Is, is that a part of the target, like, for example, addressing the Senate or the, or the Scottish government? <laughs> I'm laughing and smiling because I think you are hitting on a point here that's really, really relevant. Ireland have got their national retrofitting scheme that they announced. And you mentioned the podcast that I co-hosts, Zero Ambitions, and we interviewed the minister who brought that in, Eamon Ryan, about what it was that they had done and how was this going to be different? What were the criteria for success? And some of the key points around it were the advisor, the technical advisor to that minister is a retrofit specialist. So right in the ear of the minister delivering it. I don't know of any such relationship in England at the governmental level, which I think is part of the problem. And so, yes, I think the devolved nations maybe do, by sheer result of the scale, have maybe that ability to engage more immediately. The Scottish government are absolutely pushing for this. I know the Welsh government are as well. Also, Italy have one, which I know is going through a phase of of being redesigned because financially it's needing a bit of a revamp. But there is an opportunity for the devolved nations to lead by example. But the people who are advising all want the same thing across the UK. So you'll find that any decision makers, any policy makers who are looking to the experts, who are looking to the campaigners, who are looking to people who are trying to drive this change, they all want to share their knowledge. They really all do. And collaboration and cross-working is something I'm seeing a real blossoming of at the moment. So that gives me a lot of hope. Well, yeah, if you can shift the dial with the uh, Retrofit Festival, that would be fantastic. So thinking about domestic retrofit and, and how that fits into a sort of wider picture of sustainability, deep retrofit is really hard and fitting a heat pump can seem in some ways a bit more manageable. Do we need to heat pumpify to get us off fossil fuels faster than we're able to retrofit? I would say the answer is neither yes nor no, but actually a phased transition. The vast majority of our gas boilers in this country are not operating efficiently. We all have our flow temperatures set too high. There are some really amazing people doing a lot of good work, educating people around what it means to make your boiler run efficiently. Joe Alsop, Leah Robson from Your Energy, Your Way, We've had some really brilliant conversations on our podcast with them, but we're kind of trying to direct people to their their knowledge. Nathan Gambling, they're all talking about, do you understand how your heating system works? If we had a national public service broadcast right now to say, hey, let's make your existing heating system more efficient. And then that sort of allows you to transition into another alternative low carbon, low temperature heating system, such as heat pumps, right? The other thing I would say is that we cannot do without demand reduction in the first instance. And we do that through fabric improvements. And we have to be careful about how we do those fabric improvements. There's a lot of conversation around like how complex it is and how difficult it is and how costly it is. We need to shift away from this conversation around cost towards one of value. We're not comparing a building reg standard, shoddily constructed building and a passive house building. You've got to understand that what you're getting is all these other co-benefits that are talked about. So we have to understand the value of the home, the value of fuel security, the value of reducing our emissions, the value of being comfortable in your home. 
the value of understanding and making your home climate resilient. All those things are more than how you're heating your home. So we need both. And this notion of heat pump ready is a good one. But how deep do you go? That's the thing. It's quite easy to take a look at deep retrofit and throw your hands up and go, no, that's not just not possible. And before we start looking for solutions, I really believe there's like this great collective pause that needs to happen. If we can get to know our building stock and we can do that in a in a in a structured standardized way that could even become a whole range of skills and jobs opportunities we need to understand our buildings we can make assumptions about big chunks of the housing stock but when it comes to actually implementing measures on a house by house basis we need to understand that house there are lots of 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 people who can perform that role but once you are on the path to getting there in a risk managed way that keeps both the building and the health of the occupants safe, that is really all that matters at the beginning to get us kick-started. And how we do that is by having a whole building plan and that you consider all of the components of what makes a building a building. And it isn't just the windows and the doors, it's the people who live in them, it's how it's ventilated, it's whether that building is vapour permeable or not, it's all those things. By getting an assessment of that building and then setting it on a path that is risk managed, then it doesn't really matter right now how deep we go. We shouldn't be sort of panicking and worrying that there's no way we'll get all these buildings to benefit by 2030, 2040, 2050, 20, whenever. It matters that we do it right and we change the culture around what this is because this needs to become more about us being stewards of our buildings, of feeling that our homes and our buildings are worthy of being cared for, are worthy of like caring for us in return. You know, it's not a one and done thing. Because one issue regarding the depth of retrofit to go to is the amount of design work that that entails. So say you're doing internal wall insulation to a solid brick wall. If you're adding 300ml of insulation, you'd want to test the bricks to make sure that they won't spall and do thermal modelling of cold bridges and a load of design work to make sure that it would be moisture robust. But if you just had 100ml of wood fibre with breezeable finishes, then it'll probably be fine and you don't really need to do so much of this design work. So a kind of approach like that, even if it didn't perform so well, would be a bit easier to kind of roll out on a larger scale because there's not this kind of bottleneck of experienced and qualified consultants. So it's, yeah, how does that, the kind of design input factor into the targets that we, yeah, and the strategies that we move forward in, would you say? There are certain parts of this that we cannot short circuit. And that, again, is about assessment and understanding. I agree and I disagree in in, in things that you said. We need to understand the building. And actually, there are plenty of tools out there that we can use to do that assessment. And there is work being done. There's a British standard being written of retrofit assessments as well that will help benchmark the process and make that more standardised to what we're understanding. Then the design, I don't... I don't really think that it is that complicated. What, what's more problematic is taking a single measure approach to things. When you model something, you can understand what the context of the building is that you've got, and then you can apply measures that are appropriate, and you will be able to see where those maybe contentious junctions or where you need to sort of uh, do a little bit better in one area because you can't, maybe your heritage constrained or space constrained or all of those things, you can be quite 
high level about that in the early days so that it's not a huge amount of fee before you're actually doing anything, but that it sets you off on a, on a path. We can't expect every building to deliver the same thing. What we need is of all the 29 million homes all to be doing what they can. It's about everybody doing it all to the best of their abilities rather than the few that can and can afford it to go deep and to be the exemplar. There's some councils out there who are doing great work. Waltham Forest is one and they have a retrofit demonstrator house that you can go and you can see and they use that to say like this is what the building was and this is how it was performing these are the measures that we took you can come and you can see those things and how they've worked and it costs them money but it's like it's it's one house and it's done quite well I've seen people sort of critique it and say oh but you know not everybody wants a heat pump in their garden and oh but this that and the other it's sort of like but that's not the point the point is it's showing you ways that you can improve that and it's an iterative process so we have to jump in and we have to do the best we can nobody has the perfect solution for this by the way because we're right at the forefront here so it's doing that and being comfortable with sharing your lessons learned so that we can refine iteratively the process I mean isn't that what architecture is anyway we're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be learning. We're supposed to be developing. And we're supposed to be sharing that. We're just not very good at that. There's a lot of nitty-gritty technical expertise and detailed design work in this, as George was kind of alluding to. And we have these 29 million homes. Presumably, you could say, I don't know, maybe you've thought about this or Letty has thought about this. There are six or eight types that cover the vast majority. What do you see as the role for architects in all this? I think there's a hugely creative opportunity here. I gave a talk at the LSA not too long ago and urged the students not to ever build anything new again. And I'm laughing because one of the students said, as an architect, like that's very difficult to kind of digest. It's just about how we kind of reframe what we're working on here and what we're doing. There is an endless amount of opportunity to be creative with what we've got, with the existing building stock we have. So many people far more knowledgeable than me will talk about the circular economy and buildings that are beyond their use and also maybe beyond retrofit, but seeing this as, as materials banks. I was trying to explain this to my eight-year-old the other day. We've transitioned away from buying brand new shiny things at, uh, for birthday parties and whatnot. We go to our charity shop and we find charity shop treasure, or we do a bit of that with a bit of making where possible. And it's a thoughtful thing for somebody. It's just as exciting. In fact, maybe more so. We just have to look at all the stuff we've already created and get even more creative with it. It's a finite planet. Therefore, materials are going to be finite. Therefore, energy is going to be finite, but circular. Look at the systems of nature. And then the possibilities are endless, you know. What's the alternative? We keep doing what we're doing. That's just not, it's not an option. So we need to stop fighting the oh god this is hard isn't it oh this is technical but like what's the alternative but there isn't one this is the thing there isn't an alternative and so to step back a wee bit and not get too like, entrenched in the details because we're not going to tell everybody how to be able to detail and retrofit their homes now but it affects all of us and countries who can should do more countries that have reaped the benefits of the industrial revolution and the ways that we've been able to develop and grow exponentially without really understanding the true cost of our actions, then it's our responsibility to get to know our privilege and understand how we can 
build that into the solutions that we now put into place. It's not just about tweaking our existence to make it greener. It's about taking responsibility and seeing the global impact. We've got to do better for the next generations. We've got to do better. I mean, and this isn't some far off dream. It's happening now everywhere, wildfires in Northern Ireland. It's something that we've just got to get on with. So why not do it in a positive way? Why not find people that you can collaborate with? The only reason that I'm not <laughs> in a pool of despair about the future of our planet is because I'm doing something, of getting involved where I can. Uh, and really, there are so many people who know a lot of this stuff, like the technical knowledge is there. It's brilliant. I feel like my job is sharing connections with those people, with other people and joining up those dots because we don't need another report. We don't need to just sit now and, and wring our hands and write more reports. There are amazing things out there. Letty Retrofit Guide. Incredible. Local Authority Domestic Retrofit Handbook written by Local Partnership. It is brilliant. It's like five local community energy hub partnerships have written this guide for local authorities. It's excellent. The Retrofit London Housing Action Plan. Brilliant. There's so much resource there that we just need to make sure that those people who are doing that work is is getting out to people. And you mentioned the work that ACAN did in COP. We put on an event up there called Replicating Retrofit because when you see the works of, say, Retrofit Works or People Powered Retrofit and what they're doing is brilliant. But what we need are 5,000 Retrofit Works and 5,000 People Powered Retrofits or versions of that work for the conditions of any given community. So that was the idea behind that replicating retrofit event. And it has led to more work. And in fact, we've, with another hat on, um, we've just co-founded a, an organisation called HEAL, Home Energy Action Lab, which is about testing, do the things that People Powered Retrofit are doing, can we take them and make them work here, but also with the flavour of what is important in this community right here in Hackney, where I am? What are the key things that are replicable that we can share that far and wide nationally? Because that's what everybody wants. And believe me, there's enough work. <laughs> there's enough room at the table for a lot of people to be involved in this. So this is, again, this is like all good. Yeah, so I'm working on a, a deep retrofit project on a listed house in Fishguard in Pembrokeshire. There are important historic features like timber shutter and plasterwork internally, but it's rendered. So we're adding external wall insulation without changing the appearance that much. And apart from Cardiff, Wales is mostly a rendered country. So there's a lot of opportunity for deep retrofit without changing the external appearance that much. But in places with a brick tradition, what Hackney, for example, external wall insulation is more of a challenge. So how do you factor in heritage issues and what people feel is important in, in the kind of appearance of their community. I guess it kind of relates as well to your what you were saying about understanding the house before you start. There's a cultural context as well. Like Westminster Council, I think there's a statistic where it's 70% of the building stock in Westminster is heritage constrained in some way or just generally in conservation and so therefore that's a really big issue. But they're also another council who have significant climate ambitions and know that they still need to reduce the emissions from those buildings. And so they're actively engaging in trying to work out how how do we do that? How do we turn the reports into actual results and projects on the ground? Well, if you are heritage constrained, there are going to be particular issues that you've got to do. Number one, 
accepting that there will be limitations and so maybe we won't get the highest proportion of reductions from some buildings but we'll get as much as we can without damaging them and it's what story it tells it's how that plays part in in how an environment of a place feels and 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 what identifies it and there's value in that there's cultural value in that there's social value in that you don't want to necessarily render up all those buildings you know they maybe need to maintain their their breathability but there is a bit of of poking that we can do there. So for example, like in conservation areas, solar panels are an issue and they're deemed to be say, too visually harmful. And I would really challenge that specific bit because there may be situations where that could be deemed to be true. But what do we mean when we talk about visual harm? It's a bit like the argument around seeing wind turbines in landscapes. Oh, they're a blight on the landscape. And you sort of think, or you have no landscape on a dead planet. Is it enough to be a blanket ban on solar panels in a conservation area? No, it's not. So how do we make that change? We engage with the local councils and we say, look, let's talk about visual harm. Who defines that? Is it actually a better message for communities to see solar panels, which are the same colour as the roof, in plane with the roof, and actually something that you can point to to say, hey, look, do you know how much energy we're generating out of that? Now, I'm not saying solar is the solution everywhere, but it's one of those things. So if we suddenly say, okay, well, maybe it's not so much as a blanket ban, but there is some texture here, like how we can apply certain changes and, and others. Windows is another one. Technology does develop and change. There are ways, there are means of doing things that aren't about taking out beautiful timber, hardwood sash windows and sticking in UPVC, awful things that don't breathe. It comes back to the whole building approach. It comes back to understanding the building in the first instance and not terrifying the wits out of people by saying, I'm going to deep retrofit your building and I've chosen these three things and I don't know how they work together and I don't care what impact they're going to have. That's not the way to go about it. And it's difficult because this moment of assessment or this moment of understanding your buildings kind of looks like you're not doing anything. So if we can frame it as part of a long-term thinking, that's what's impactful. I totally buy and understand the idea of, you know, understanding the whole house and how all this has to work together and you need a holistic approach. I mean, that just makes total sense. And it takes time to do that at the beginning. And it doesn't have to be ultra detailed, as you say, you can take a high level approach to this. But there is still the affordability question. I also appreciate the need to put a positive spin on this and that we can do it. But there is a kind of very niche top end of the market that can afford this. How do we tackle affordability and roll this out? What have your conversations been yielding? This is where the top down stuff is needed as well as the, the bottom up, you know, of us just educating our clients or campaigning together. We need also long term thinking and investment from the government in the form of some manner of national retrofit strategy, similar to what Ireland have done. Because what you do if you deliver long-term thinking around that is you show confidence in a market that the private sector will then engage with because they know, oh, hang on, like the government is, they've got this like five-year retrofit strategy thing. It's a bit of show willing, build confidence in the market from the top down. We just have to keep pushing it as much as we can from the bottom up. And I guess as well from clients who come to us looking for things like that in retrofit and what can they afford 
It's a little bit around being creative. So maybe you don't need quite as much new build extension space and maybe it's about more creative reuse and really understanding how you want to use your building and then proving through modelling how much better their home could be. When I very first started as an architect, I was always just like, what are we doing putting these pretty well insulated extensions on the back of leaky old houses? That just feels like letting the air out of your airbed looking at the whole building and not just the extension. I mean, it's a cultural transformation that's really needed as well, because if you even look at like, how do we talk about homes and buildings and things on TV shows? You know, it's a slash and burn thing, isn't it? It's like the ditch, the kitchen, gut that, get rid of all that, stick it in the skip. Nobody thinks about it afterwards. And then we'll build a new thing that probably isn't necessarily the highest quality. And it's not doing anything other than making it look better, but it's not performing any better. So we don't talk about our homes in the same way. And, and yet we talk about energy efficiency measures like they owe us. Oh, what's the payback on that? What's the payback on your £20,000 kitchen? We have a responsibility, not just architects. So a lot of this is beyond the bounds of only architects. We, we, we interact with the small part of the city, really. The broadest amount is, is everybody, every household. It's like giving the household enough knowledge about their own homes is a responsibility of the government, really. It's an education block that's just missing. Like, the very base, we should be able to understand how our homes work. So, yeah, there's a lot that architects can do, but it's not just architects that have to do it. In the public sector, retrofit can be a means to address fuel poverty, issues of damp and mould. What do you see happening in local authorities that you think sets a precedent for a way forward? I really feel for local authorities. They have got to meet these climate targets and often it's before national targets. They'll be declaring by 2030 or by 2028 and they have to then deliver that. But they're also not necessarily being equipped with the basics of, say, climate literacy, even just across the departments that are having to deliver these things and having to do the the, the work around it. This is where... London Council's Retrofit London has an action plan is, is trying to address that, trying to bring together those boroughs that maybe can afford a bit more resource. They're bringing together guidance to then disseminate across all of those boroughs. And then the other document that I mentioned before as well, which was more UK wide, the Local Authority Domestic Retrofit Handbook. So there's a collaboration in the background going on there where councils are trying to show what you can do. Enfield and Waltham Forest that I've mentioned in Westminster, but Manchester and Edinburgh, they're all really doing great work around this and trying to find ways, trying to engage. Is this done at a neighbourhood scale? Should we be talking to pension funds about how we actually pay for this? There's an organisation called Bankers Without Boundaries who've done a study on retrofitting neighbourhoods at scale with ESG requirements for big companies now and and, and the the pension funds are, are into that now as well. But they want someone to do it first. They need to see it proven. And there are councils across the country who are at that tipping point of wanting to do it, but they just need all the players in the game to help. So this is why we need this cross-industry collaboration as well as slightly reaching outside of our own industry to say, well, what would retrofitting a neighbourhood at scale look like? And it's not just about sticking the insulation on the outside of a few buildings. It's about... How are we moving around that place? What's our transport links? What's our food creation, our energy generation, our, all of those things? What does that look like? There are studies out there about the cost of the NHS, the health burden 
of poor housing, if we could get better at quantifying the co-benefits, I hate calling them co-benefits because they're not co-benefits, they're, they're primary benefits, but if we can get better at quantifying those and then be able to sit them beside classic cost measures, you start to see, well, this is really great. Maybe neighbourhoods start speaking to each other. Maybe streets start doing retrofit investments um, collectively. Maybe, you know, I live in a terrace, um, a flat in a terrace property. And, you know, maybe with enough cultural change, everybody recognises, hey, if we externally insulate the back row of these all together at once, it costs us 24% of what it would have cost me to do it on my own. We're creative beings, right? We have, what did David Attenborough say? You know, we may have created a big problem, but we're also the most creative problem solvers. So that's got to be worth something. So you touched on Ireland and Italy. Have you seen things happening elsewhere that you think are relevant to what the need is here? I think Ireland and Italy are the main ones that I know of that are happening now. There are other things, but all at different stages. I mean, I think it's partly because we have a particular sort of condition here because we do have some of the oldest housing stock in in Europe and also some of the quirkiest tenure structures. I would love if your listeners did know more and wanted to like reach out and tell us we're all ears. And this comes back to that thing about we should share our knowledge about how we understand buildings to as many people as possible. And then you're not so scared of it. You're not so worried about it. I mean, I know plenty of people don't want to touch their thermostat or even their boiler for fear of breaking it. Because if they do, then that's going to cost them, you know, a call-out fee. And they don't have that call-out fee. But actually, people don't need to be that afraid about it. I like the way you're thinking across all parameters on this. That's really what we need. So while in the UK we don't have an overall retrofit strategy, we have got past 2035 as a fairly new framework with roles like retrofit designers, retrofit coordinators, intended to prevent some of the terrible contractor-led retrofit disasters like happened in Preston. Is this something that you've been working with? And is there a way for architects to get involved? Past 2035 is like, it's a framework to approach projects rather than a standard per se. One of its key aims would have been about risk mitigation and management in retrofit schemes so that that sort of single measure or unintended consequences weren't factored in. Is it right for every retrofit project? Probably not, but it's more about its approach. And so anything that sets out to de-risk and protect building fabric and the occupant's health is a good thing. It does talk about the need for a retrofit coordinator. And there is a real role here for, for architects in that being a retrofit coordinator or a retrofit assessor and designer, you've got to have a wide ranging view of the building that it is, what it's trying to achieve and who are the occupants going to be, because that's fundamentally it. And it's a great role for, for architects because it does need creative thinking and it does need oversight. And we have got those skills already and it's going to become more and more necessary because We're just not going to continue doing single measure retrofit improvements because we're going to continually be shown that they don't work. And then, you know, that's not good for anybody. That's not good for the industry. Access to training to become a retrofit coordinator. There are some courses out there and hopefully there will be many more of them. And because, again, there's so much room at the table that does need to be something that's opened up to the widest possible audience. And I think that will happen. 
So to change tax, uh, one last question. For you personally, you co-founded your own practice in 2015 after six years at BDP. Tell us a little bit about your own journey and what prompted you to take on a leadership role at ACAN to push these issues so hard now? I started my own practice for personal reasons because I just needed greater flexibility than I suppose I felt any big practice could offer at that time because there is a culture in architecture that I guess the gender pay gap talks for itself and if you follow anything that Future Architect Front are talking about then they're the best source of information for that right now. So I started my own practice for that purpose and and that was great and it did serve that purpose but all the while in architectural education I was always a little bit concerned about this notion of stuff and who are we really helping here and what is our impact and those questions just became more and more deafening and it happened to coincide with the launch of Architects Declare where I went down to that and met some people from ACAN and it all just really was absolutely hitting home for me there thinking yeah this is the movement these are the places that I can ask questions and and see if anybody <laughs> knows what what we should be doing um, and it really just snowballed from there the energy that exists within ACAN is like nothing I've ever experienced anywhere it's brilliant and just to see the energy that it can bring but also the hope that it can bring and the knowledge share I mean I feel like I've gotten several degrees worth of knowledge since joining just from being in different working groups or listening to conversations or attending events that are put on and it's a it's a very welcoming space it's a very open space and I feel it's a very supporting space as well so more than anything else I thought is it time for me to just like not be putting my foot to the floor so much but it just feels like a real moment of transition, and I'm really happy and proud to be part of it. Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that ACAN is on a firm footing and that this was not kind of a burst of energy that is running its course, that there's a new leadership and that it's sustainable going forward, that the passion and, and energy are, are still there. Is there anything we've missed out that you want to add, Sarah? I am involved in a lot of things, but I'm certainly not the go-to expert on each of those things individually, but I can see the huge value in work that a broad range of people are doing. And I just so desperately want to have all of their voices heard in the right places so we can see that change. My parting message for anybody listening would be that like revolution starts at home, whatever your home is. So having conversations with people at the school gates or in your shop when they offer you the plastic bag, say no to that and say why if you feel like you can or find ways of slightly tweaking things but talking about it and find the common ground because we have a lot of common ground. So if you find the common ground, you'll find that you can really help each other. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Really interesting to hear how it's all evolved for you in the last 18 months. Thank you. In our next episode, we'll be speaking to domestic retrofit expert Bob Pruitt of Pruitt Bisley Architects. If you're enjoying Climate Champions, Please rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. It helps people find us so we can build an audience. 
You can find the show notes for this and previous episodes at architectsjournal.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.